Section 1, Part 2 of the Introduction to Timaeus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lenny. Timaeus by Plato. Translated by Benjamin Jowett. Introduction and Analysis. Section 1, Part 2. Thus far, we have spoken of the works of mind, and there are other works done from necessity which we must now place beside them, for the creation is made up of both, mind persuading necessity as far as possible to work out good. Before the heavens there existed fire, air, water, earth, which we suppose men to know, though no one has explained their nature and we erroneously maintain them to be the letters or elements of the whole, although they cannot reasonably be compared even to syllables or first compounds. I am not now speaking of the first principles of things, because I cannot discover them by our present mode of enquiry. But, as I observed the rule of probability at first, I will begin anew, seeking, by the grace of God, to observe it still. In our former discussion, I distinguished two kinds of being, the unchanging or invisible, and the visible or changing. But now a third kind is required, which I shall call the receptacle or nurse of generation. There is a difficulty in arriving at an exact notion of this third kind, because the four elements themselves are of inexact natures, and easily pass into one another, and are too transient to be detained by any one name. Wherefore, we are compelled to speak of water or fire, not as substances, but as qualities. They may be compared to images made of gold, which are continually assuming new forms. Somebody asks what they are. If you do not know, the safest answer is to reply that they are gold. In like manner, there is a universal nature out of which all things are made, and which is like none of them. But they enter into and pass out of her, and are made after patterns of the true, in a wonderful and inexplicable manner. The containing principle may be likened to a mother, the source or spring to a father, the intermediate nature to a child. And we may also remark that the matter which receives every variety of form must be formless, like the inodorous liquids which are prepared to receive scents, or the smooth and soft materials on which figures are impressed. In the same way, space or matter is neither earth, nor fire, nor air, nor water, but an invisible and formless being which receives all things, and in an incomprehensible manner partakes of the intelligible. But we may say, speaking generally, that fire is that part of this nature which is inflamed, water that which is moistened, and the like. Let me ask a question in which a great principle is involved. Is there an essence of fire in the other elements, or are there only fires visible to sense? I answer in a word. If mind is one thing, and true opinion another, then there are self-existent essences, but if mind is the same with opinion, then the visible and corporeal is most real. But they are not the same, and they have a different origin and nature. The one comes to us by instruction, 
the other by persuasion. The one is rational, the other is irrational. The one is movable by persuasion, the other immovable. The one is possessed by every man, the other by the gods and by very few men. And we must acknowledge that, as there are two kinds of knowledge, so there are two kinds of being corresponding to them. The one uncreated, indestructible, immovable, which is seen by intelligence only. The other, created, which is always becoming in place and vanishing out of place, and is apprehended by opinion and sense. There is also a third nature, that of space, which is indestructible, and is perceived by a kind of spurious reason without the help of sense. This is presented to us in a dreamy manner, and yet is said to be necessary, for we say that all things must be somewhere in space, for they are the images of other things, and must therefore have a separate existence, and exist in something, that is, in space. But true reason assures us that while two things, that is, the idea and the image, are different, they cannot inhere in one another, so as to be one and two at the same time. To sum up, being and generation and space, these three, existed before the heavens, and the nurse or vessel of generation, moistened by water and inflamed by fire, and taking the forms of air and earth, assumed various shapes. By the motion of the vessel, the elements were divided, and like grain winnowed by fans, the close and heavy particles settled in one place, the light and airy ones in another. At first they were without reason and measure, and had only certain faint traces of themselves, until God fashioned them by figure and number. In this, as in every other part of creation, I suppose God to have made things, as far as was possible, fair and good, out of things not fair and good. And now I will explain to you the generation of the world by a method with which your scientific training will have made you familiar. Fire, air, earth and water are bodies and therefore solids, and solids are contained in planes, and plane rectilinear figures are made up of triangles. Of triangles there are two kinds, one having the opposite sides equal, isosceles, the other with unequal sides, scalene. These we may fairly assume to be the original elements of fire and the other bodies. What principles are prior to these, God only knows, and he of men whom God loves. Next, we must determine what are the four most beautiful figures which are unlike one another, and yet sometimes capable of resolution into one another. Of the two kinds of triangles, the equal-sided has but one form, the unequal-sided has an infinite variety of forms, and there is none more beautiful than that which forms the half of an equilateral triangle. Let us then choose two triangles, one the isosceles, the other that form of scaling which has the square of the longer side three times as great as the square of the lesser side, and affirm that, out of these, fire and the other elements have been constructed. I was wrong in imagining that all the four elements could be generated into and out of one another. For as they are formed, 
three of them from the triangle which has the sides unequal, the four from the triangle which has equal sides, three can be resolved into one another, but the fourth cannot be resolved into them, nor they into it. So much for their passage into one another. I must not speak of their construction. From the triangle, of which the hypotenuse is twice the lesser side the three first regular solids are formed, first the equilateral pyramid, or tetrahedron, secondly the octahedron, thirdly the icosahedron, and from the isosceles triangle is formed the cube. And there is a fifth figure, which is made out of twelve pentagons, the dodecahedron, this God used as a model for the twelve-fold division of the zodiac. Let us now assign the geometrical forms to their respective elements. The cube is the most stable of them, because resting on a quadrangular plane surface and composed of isosceles triangles. To the earth, then, which is the most stable of bodies, and the most easily modeled of them, may be assigned the form of a cube and the remaining forms to the other elements, to fire the pyramid, to air the octahedron, and to water the icosahedron, according to their degrees of lightness or heaviness or power, or want of power, of penetration. The single particles of any of the elements are not seen by reason of their smallness. They only become visible when collected. The ratios of their motions, numbers, and other properties are ordered by the god who harmonized them as far as necessity permitted. The probable conclusion is as follows. Earth, when dissolved by the more penetrating element of fire, whether acting immediately or through the medium of air or water, is decomposed but not transformed. Water, when divided by fire or air, becomes one part fire and two parts air. A volume of air divided becomes two of fire. On the other hand, when condensed, two volumes of fire make a volume of air, and two and a half parts of air condense into one of water. Any element which is fastened upon by fire is cut by the sharpness of the triangles, until at length, coalescing with the fire, it is at rest, for similars are not affected by similars. When two kinds of bodies quarrel with one another, then the tendency to decomposition continues until the smaller either escapes to its kindred element or becomes one with its conqueror. And this tendency in bodies to condense or escape is a source of motion. Where there is motion, there must be a mover, and where there is a mover, there must be something to move. These cannot exist in what is uniform, and therefore motion is due to want of uniformity. But then why, when things are divided after their kind, do they not cease from motion? The answer is that the circular motion of all things compresses them, and as nature abhors a vacuum, the finer and more subtle parts of the lighter elements, such as fire and air, are thrust into the interstices of the larger, each of them penetrating according to their rarity, and thus all the elements are on their way up and down everywhere and always into their own places. Hence, there is a principle of inequality and therefore of motion in all time. In the next place, we may observe that there are different kinds of fire. 1. Flame. 2. Light that burns not. 3. 
the red heat of the embers of fire. And there are varieties of air, as for example, the pure ether, the opaque mist, and other nameless forms. Water, again, is of two kinds, liquid and fusile. The liquid is composed of small and unequal parts, the fusile of large and uniform particles, and is more solid, but nevertheless melts at the approach of fire, and then spreads upon the earth. When the substance cools, the fire passes into the air, which is displaced, and forces together and condenses the liquid mass. This process is called cooling and congealment. Of the fusile kinds, the fairest and heaviest is gold. This is hardened by filtration through rock, and is of a bright yellow color. A shoot of gold, which is darker and denser than the rest, is called adamant. Another kind is called copper, which is harder and yet lighter, because the interstices are larger than in gold. There is mingled with it a fine and small portion of earth, which comes out in the form of rust. These are a few of the conjectures which philosophy forms, when, leaving the eternal nature, she turns for innocent recreation to consider the truths of generation. Water which is mingled with fire is called liquid because it rolls upon the earth, and soft because its bases give way. This becomes more equable when separated from fire and air, and then congeals into hail or ice, or the looser forms of hoar-frost or snow. There are other waters which are called juices and are distilled through plants. Of these we may mention first wine, which warms the soul as well as the body. Secondly, oily substances, as for example oil or pitch. Thirdly, honey, which relaxes the contracted parts of the mouth, and so produces sweetness. Fourthly, vegetable acid, which is frothy and has a burning quality, and dissolves the flesh. Of the kinds of earth, that which is filtered through water passes into stone. The water is broken up by the earth and escapes in the form of air. This, in turn, presses upon the mass of earth, and the earth, compressed into an indissoluble union with the remaining water, becomes rock. Rock, when it is made up of equal particles, is fair and transparent, but the reverse when of an equal. Earth is converted into pottery when the watery part is suddenly drawn away, or, if moisture remains, the earth, when fused by fire, becomes, on cooling, a stone of a black color. When the earth is finer and of a briny nature, then two half-solid bodies are formed by separating the water, soda and salt. The strong compounds of earth and water are not soluble by water, but only by fire. Earth itself, when not consolidated, is dissolved by water, when consolidated by fire only. The cohesion of water, when strong, is dissolved by fire only, when weak, either by air or fire, the former entering the interstices, the latter penetrating even the triangles. Air, when strongly condensed, is indissoluble by any power which does not reach the triangles, and even when not strongly condensed, is only resolved by fire. Compounds of earth and water are unaffected by water, while the water occupies the interstices in them, but begin to liquefy when fire enters into the interstices of the water. They are of two kinds, 
some of them like glass, having more earth, others like walks, having more water in them. Having considered objects of sense, we now pass on to sensation. But we cannot explain sensation without explaining the nature of flesh and of the mortal soul. And, as we cannot treat of both together, in order that we may proceed at once to the sensations, we must assume the existence of body and soul. What makes fire burn? The fineness of the sides, the sharpness of the angles, the smallness of the particles, the quickness of the motion. Moreover, the pyramid, which is the figure of fire, is more cutting than any other. The feeling of cold is produced by the larger particles of moisture outside the body, trying to eject the smaller ones in the body which they compress. The struggle which arises between elements thus unnaturally brought together causes shivering. That is hard to which the flesh yields, and soft which yields to the flesh, and these two terms are also relative to one another. The yielding matter is that which has the slenderest base, whereas that which has a rectangular base is compact and repellent. Light and heavy are wrongly explained with reference to a lower and higher in place. For, in the universe, which is a sphere, there is no opposition of above or below, and that which is to us above would be below to a man standing at the antipodes. The greater or less difficulty in detaching any element from its like is the real cause of heaviness or lightness. If you draw the earth into the similar air, the particles of earth cling to their native element, and you more easily detach a small portion than a large. There would be the same difficulty in moving any of the upper elements towards the lower. The smooth and the rough are severally produced by the union of evenness with compactness, and of hardness with inequality. Pleasure and pain are the most important of the affections common to the whole body. According to our general doctrine of sensation, Parts of the body which are easily moved readily transmit the motion to the mind. But parts which are not easily moved have no effect upon the patient. The bones and hair are of the latter kind, sight and hearing of the former. Ordinary affections are neither pleasant nor painful. The impressions of sight afford an example of these, and are neither violent nor sudden. But sudden replenishments of the body cause pleasure. And sudden disturbances, as, for example, cuttings and burnings, have the opposite effect. From sensations common to the whole body, we proceed to those of particular parts. The affections of the tongue appear to be caused by contraction and dilation, but they have more of roughness or smoothness than is found in other affections. Earthy particles entering into the small veins of the tongue which reach to the heart when they melt into and dry up the little veins are astringent if they are rough, or, if not so rough, they are only harsh, and, if excessively abstergent, like potash and soda, bitter. Purgatives of a weaker sort are called salt, and having no bitterness are rather agreeable. Inflammatory bodies, which by their lightness are carried up into the head, cutting all that comes in their way, are termed pungent. But when these are refined by putrefaction, and enter the narrow veins of the tongue, and meet their particles of earth and air, two kinds of globules are formed. 
one of earthy and impure liquid, which boils and ferments, the other of pure and transparent water, which are called bubbles. Of all these affections the cause is termed acid. When, on the other hand, the composition of the deliquescent particles is congenial to the tongue, and disposes the parts according to their nature, this remedial power in them is called sweet. Smells are not divided into kinds. All of them are transitional, and arise out of the decomposition of one element into another, for the simple air or water is without smell. They are vapors or mists, thinner than water and thicker than air. And hence, in drawing in the breath, when there is an obstruction, the air passes, but there is no smell. They have no names, but are distinguished as pleasant and unpleasant, and their influence extends over the whole region from the head to the navel. Hearing is the effect of a stroke which is transmitted through the ears by means of the air, brain, and blood to the soul, beginning at the head and extending to the liver. The sound which moves swiftly is acute, that which moves slowly is grave, that which is uniform is smooth, and the opposite is harsh. Loudness depends on the quantity of the sound. Of the harmony of sounds I will hereafter speak. Colors are flames which emanate from all bodies, having particles corresponding to the sense of sight. Some of the particles are less and some larger, and some are equal to the parts of the sight. The equal particles appear transparent, the larger contract, and the lesser dilates the sight. White is produced by the dilation, black by the contraction, of the particles of sight. There is also a swifter motion of another sort of fire, which forces a way through the passages of the eyes, and elicits from them a union of fire and water, which we call tears. The inner fire flashes forth, and the outer finds a way in, and is extinguished in the moisture, and all sorts of colors are generated by the mixture. This affection is termed by us dazzling, and the object which produces it is called bright. There is yet another sort of fire which mingles with the moisture of the eye without flashing, and produces a color like blood. To this we give the name of red. A bright element mingling with red and white produces a color which we call auburn. The law of proportion, however, according to which compound colors are formed, cannot be determined scientifically or even probably. Red, when mingled with black and white, gives a purple hue, which becomes umber when the colors are burned, and there is a larger admixture of black. Flame color is a mixture of auburn and dun, dun of white and black, yellow of white and auburn. White and bright meeting and falling upon a full black become dark blue. Dark blue mingling with white becomes a light blue. The union of flame color and black makes leek green. There's no difficulty in seeing how other colors are probably composed. But he who should attempt to test the truth of this by experiment would forget the difference of the human and divine nature. God only is able to compound and resolve substances. Such experiments are impossible to men. These are the elements of necessity which the Creator received in the world of generation when he made the all-sufficient and perfect creature, using the secondary causes as his ministers, but himself fashioning the good in all things. 
for there are two sorts of causes, the one divine, the other necessary, and we should seek to discover the divine above all, and for their sake, the necessary, because without them, the higher cannot be attained by us. End of section 1, part 2